Welcome to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Casenza. I'm your host for this third season. Reminding everyone that El Cafecito is sponsored by the Latin American Studies Program at the University of Toronto. Without their help, nothing of this would have been possible. So now for my introduction. Viva el indigenismo! Hi, my name is Maria. I'm studying political science at UBC. I'm currently in my fourth year and I'm studying political science. And my introduction for uh, today is ¿Qué será? ¿Qué será? About the elections. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Steve Barra. I uh, graduated from U of T uh, June 2019. I studied economics and Latin American studies and I want to thank the Latin American Studies Program and the Spanish Department, Spanish and Portuguese Department for having this initiative still going. I'm very happy to, to be back and participate. Hola, hello, Hugo. My name is Raquel. And in Ecuador, abunda el doble discurso. Okay, so we have a team of specialists, so many Ecuadorians here to talk about the Ecuadorian elections uh, that have had their first round this last week. Uh, the second round yet to come. And we're here to talk about a little bit about the recent politics in Ecuador. They've been quite interesting, reflective of the whole continent in many ways, but also having its specific uh, political issues that is very interesting to talk about. And now we have a team of specialists to talk to, uh, to, talk to us about that. And my, my first question is going back to the past and to understand here the elections, I think a key political figure is Rafael Correa, which was uh, the president of Ecuador for in 2000, started in 2005, I believe. And I okay. and he's an important figure in this uh, elections, even though he didn't run. I wanted to know why is he so important in Ecuador right now? And what did he do for Ecuador when he was a president? Um, yeah, I think, as you mentioned, Rafael Correa is extremely important to understand the Ecuadorian elections right now. So he started in 2007 until 2017 with La Revolución Ciudadana, which was a political movement that from uh, the, the left that was proposing a social change, a social revolution, a lot of social reforms specifically to help the lower um, classes in Ecuador. In my opinion, at the beginning, it was a successful movement. And at the end, it, it kind of changed. Right now, eh, Rafael Correa and La Revolución Ciudadana, Alianza País, which is the, the political party, is not led by Rafael Correa anymore. There was strong division between the party. Now they have their new political party that is called Unión por la Esperanza. But the important thing here is that Rafael Correa is no longer in Ecuador. He is outside of Ecuador because of corruption scandals, but he's not able to come back. Even though he's not in the country, he's having a lot, a lot of influence in the current election. <laughs> Thank you.
have drawn many comparisons <clears throat> between him and Lula in Brazil. Um, for, the, for the listeners, Lula is also a reformist leftist president in Brazil that <clears throat> was in presidency from 2002-2010, and he was later uh, caught for corruption charges, and he was impeded from running in the elections because he, was, he went to jail. Um, and there was the Operation Car Wash that was very mediatic. And now it's starting to come up that the, the operation was actually very politicized and very targeted towards the left and towards the figure of Lula and was colluding with uh, monopolies such as Rede Globo, which is the main TV channel in Brazil. Is the same thing happening with Rafael Correa? Is because I know his claims are very similar to Lula's, right? They, he, he says he's being politically, uh, politically charged because of the corruption scandals. Is it, is, are the corruption uh, charges well-founded or are they politically inclined or is it politically inclined anyways? If I were to speak about all the uh, issues that happened kind of towards the end of Korea's presidency with the fall in, in oil prices and uh, in a, uh, an economic crisis kind of uh, coming up uh, into the country, I think that... Um, then uh, furthered with the division between Moreno and Correa, 
and uh, I think the definitely definitely the um, corruption uh, judgment uh, has been kind of inclined towards politics of course but I mean there is kind of like a, a background as well especially coming from from uh, environmental claims a lot like whether to extract oil from certain areas of the Amazon. Actually, at the beginning of uh, Moreno's presidency, I think there was this kind of like clear um, expectation from the people to see what, what's going to happen in terms of, all, uh, of oil exploitation, right? Oil extraction and also a lot of mining concessions to, to Canadian companies, especially here in the south of the country. So since the very beginning of, of Moreno's presidency, we can see these kind of of, of every um, uh, kind of like uh, every aspect uh, of uh, Correa's environmental policies and decisions kind of falling apart, but also being um, added up to the uh, evidence for the judgment of uh, whether he was uh, involved in corruption cases and uh, also his staff, of course. Um, I will talk about as someone that used to be uh, a Correista, a passionately um, supporter of Rafael Correa since he started. Um, however, at the end, Rafael Correa showed that there was a fever for power and his political project completely changed. It is incredible to see even in his face if you see a picture when he started and how he looks now it's totally different um it's not the same rafael correa and clearly the last years of of power i'll say the the second the second time he was the president there was a lot of corruption there was a lot of division in the country that was led by him Um, about divisions in social classes between, uh, against and in favor of Correa that, as we can see, still are here after more than 10 years of his presidency, which is really, really shocking for me. So I will say that Rafael Correa is someone that started with a political project that had a future. And for sure, Ecuador has a before and after Rafael Correa. He made a lot of contributions, especially to the people that need the most. So I think that it really, really changed a lot of lives. However, at the end, all of that contributions were um, involved in corruption and a lot of hate speech, which is unacceptable for, for a president. Well, yeah, and uh, I mean, we can see that in, in different areas, as I was saying, like not only the environment, right? Although it's kind of like the area where I would like to to dig in a little bit more because that's kind of like the uh, a, a cornerstone, I would say, between um, in, in terms of what's happening now and, and, the, and the division between uh, Lasso's uh, going into the second round and uh, Yaku's chances to go into the second round as well although he's, he's third right now, claiming uh, some corruption and, 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 and fraud. Uh, I mean, in terms of freedom of expression, there was a lot of um, kind of like, you know, Korea at the beginning was very supportive of all these, 
ideas of giving voice to indigenous communities and to um, especially groups that were uh, involved in defending environmental rights and uh, territories, especially in the Amazon. But towards the end, we can see a lot of um, pressure against those uh, organizations and, and, and grassroots um, all in, around the, the, the topic of the environment, right? So, I mean, government propaganda, a lot of government propaganda towards the end, especially uh, because of these um, future elections when Lenin won, right? Um, a lot of uh, indigenous rights not really being um, uh, protected and actually um, some of Korea's, uh, Korea's opinions were against certain um, indigenous ideals and uh, of how to deal with their society, right? In terms of indigenous justice, for example, a lot. So um, I can see like a, a total fall down of, of, of what Korea left as a, as a, as a legacy, right? So um, although many, many things and many fundamental things, starting from the constitution in 2008, have uh, survived throughout all these um, government that is reaching an end, I can see that a lot of things were undone and uh, that kind of left um, an empty space for, for their rights and also for those who were um, you know, oppressed during uh, Korea's um, government, a chance to speak up and a chance to kind of show that there is an alternative, right? Whether it's from their right or whether it's from like another perspective uh, of some of those groups oppressed during Korea's, Korea's government. And I think that also reflects what's happening now, but still it's, it's uncertain, right? It's still, um, damaging the country in, the, in, a sen in the sense that uh, we have a lot of division right now, even though we are speaking about the same topics that we, are, we were speaking about uh, four years, five years ago. And, and I'm wondering, well, following the Korea presidency, you had Lin Moreno, as you said, and he had a very different perspective from Korea. And I'm wondering, why did he have this break, even though they were from uh, the same alliance? What were the, the different perspectives he had with regards to policies that compare to Korea's presidency, for example? Because we know he said he was against socialism of the 21st century. He said that. And so I wanted to know why. I mean, I don't know where to start. I, I'm not a supporter. I didn't vote for Moreno in the 2017 elections. I think he wasn't able to lead the country. I think he wasn't ready. I, I think he didn't have the skills that we needed. And that's something that we've seen the past four years now. Uh, he pretty much, uh, in certain things, I'll say that he was a puppet of the right. Uh, I do think that he didn't really have a clear standpoint on many issues and that created this space for the for, for people in the right, especially bankers and people involved in finance and economics to get involved in the political affairs of the country. So I, I think that this lack of um, like clear standpoint, like there, there were some things that we thought that he was going to follow the, the ideas of La Revolución Ciudadana and so on, but once he won the elections and his presidency started, there were some things that we didn't see and these things were promised in, during the campaign and so on. So this, 
lack of uh, not only skills, but this lack of uh, like uh, a lack of a clear position in many things led to this creation of spaces for people in positions of power and people that had money to be involved in the political affairs of the country. So, yeah. There was a period of protest in 2019 that I remember well uh, because of an increase in gas prices. And there was, it was led, I remember well, by a lot of indigenous uh, movements. And uh, he had also a dealing with the IMF that was actually quite controversial. And I wanted uh, you to talk a little bit more. What was this deal with the IMF and why is it so controversial in Ecuador right now? Kind of like the involvement with the IMF came right after um, all the corruption uh, cases were kind of brought up onto the table, right? Um, especially claiming that we are in, and we are immersed in an economic crisis. But then Moreno, uh, uh, as Raquel and Maria have mentioned, um, leaving this space for 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 huge powers. Um, from any any political spectrum to participate in, in, in Moreno's government kind of led to these, um, and we kind of see the, the most influential power, uh, led to these uh, dealings with the um, IMF. So one of the results was basically that, right? Like the uh, October 2019 uh, protest against um, the rising gas prices, which was not, on, was not the only one, the only decision about to be uh, into the presidential decree, there were there were some more that for sure um, had an impact, especially on the middle class and in, in, in the lower class, which at the same time correlates with a lot of the indigenous population. So um, there's clearly like this is where you can see kind of like these what's happening now. The 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 three main. Um, parties running for power right now. Um, I can see that the, the, the protest of 2019 as a, as, a, as a starting point, definitely, because that's where we can see people um, first against the current government, uh, going out to the streets, both indigenous and also um, those who supported indigenous um, peoples too, but also those who supported Correa, right? We can see definitely, definitely um, um, people trying to 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 claim back that power of the people, right? Uh, and, and kind of like uh, uh, putting us on uh, a certain point, a certain end to Moreno's uh, policies. That kind of was uh, successful in the sense that um, yes, it stopped the presidential decree at that time. The rising gas prices was. Um, uh, shattered, although uh, the rising gas um, prices has been happening, <laughs> so uh, it's gradual. So um, there are certain things that were left there until the elections, which I think uh, when coinciding with the pandemic was a total mess, was a total mess, uh, especially for Co uh, Moreno's government. Uh, it uh, apart from opening up spaces for other participants uh, into the political uh, affairs, it kind of led to also to show Moreno's uh, weaknesses in the government, right? But very, very little to the country, I would say. As we approached the elections, um, since the, when we, won, when we uh, look back at the protest in 2019, in October 2019, we kind of see these, um, you know, 
um, kind of a slow and, and, and weakening pro uh, process of, of Moreno's government. Um, right now, for the elections, I think um, the, the government hasn't had any worth, any say on this, on, on what's happening right now in the elections. That's definitely an end to, to Moreno's um, um, power uh, as a president. And well, that we, we kind of see, and that's kind of obvious as well, because he has 8% of, of acceptance rates right now in the country. So, so it's definitely, definitely now everything left onto the people, onto, this, onto those um, exact same people who were um, protesting in 2019, I would say, and also to those who were against that, but not really for Morenos either. It's a complicated uh, situation that we are going through right now, definitely. I I agree. I, I think the, the 2018 protests also pointed out another issue in Ecuador, that it's uh, racism, because Ecuador is uh, such a racist country. And I started this um, episode by saying that there is a lot of um, doble discurso abunda in Ecuador. And I was saying that because a lot of the people that were saying so many racist things um, back in the 2019 protests are now being like, yes, you go, Yaku. Now you're going to be our leader. And there's a lot of incoherence and just a lot of racism. Um, and it's it's really shocking to see that. Like, sometimes I feel that people like don't don't understand like the importance of history, don't really look at like their past actions and their past, like the things they said, how they were involved in the protests, how they were against indigenous people protesting. And those racist comments are the ones that have are, are being challenged right now. And that's also part of how these past few days and maybe until tomorrow or the day after are going to be present in the conversations about the election, like the next round, especially because there's, uh, if Yaku is the uh, opponent of, um, of Arauz, then all those people like that refer to them in such a racist way now will have to vote for them if they don't want Arauz to win. Um, so it's it's uh, it's an issue that we are not dealing with uh, as it should be. Um, I think it's gonna be really, it's gonna be a determinant factor of who wins next elections. Mm -hmm. And for the future of the, uh, in this case, the Pachacutic par party, um, but for any indigenous group in uh, our political affiliation. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about the the, the, the elections and we had 16, President, uh, presidents and vice presidential candidates a lot in Brazil we have also a lot and it's a circle. I, I can imagine that like most of them are not relevant right you probably had we had the three that we talked most here Andres Arauz, Guillermo Lasso and Yacu Perez which were the big ones we we're talking about now there are the three ones in, in the front for the second round but I uh, do you have any other comments about the other presidential vice presidents and vice presidential candidates were they were they um vocal in any way? Were there any interesting comments about them or were they kind of faded away compared to the other three? Well, I think we have here, we have one other candidate that really played a really important role in, in the elections. His name is Javier Hervas. 
he is a new political figure is his first time running in the presidential elections and why i also say this is because usually in ecuador there's a lot of candidates that have run for two three times and that's like the lasso. Of, that's the case of lasso and javier Herbas is his first year being a candidate and he got a, a really good acceptance rate so i will say that it's someone that will come up in future elections And he's also someone that divided the votes between Lasso and the, the rest of the opposition. So especially in young people, Javier Herbas got a lot of support. Now talking about the elections, I think it's important first to uh, know the, the following aspects. The first, that Lasso is his third time running as a presidential candidate. The second one is that Jakub Perez, to give a bit of context to our non-Ecuadorian audience, he is an indigenous person that was involved also in uh, October. And as Raquel said, a lot of racism in Ecuador appeared all the time. And right now is the moment to be, it's honestly, it's <laughs> it, it gets to a point that it's like, crazy because um, I won't say like all of racism comes from a specific part because all of Ecuador is racist. Sadly, that's the case. But a lot of it also came from supporter, supporters from Lasso and now it's the moment to see if they will come together or not. As we are talking los, right now. Oh, los políticos guayaquileños. Yeah. As we Sorry, are talking right I now. I to say that. <laughs> They are having a discussion between Lasso and Yaku to see if they will recount the votes. Uh, so we'll have to wait for it, see what is happening. And to give more context to other, our audience. So once the elections happened, the first results that we had said that in first place, we had Arauz, second place, Lasso, and third place, Yaku. These were the results of the exit polls. After that, we had the official announcement that said that there was first Arauz, second Yaku, then Lasso, which came as a surprise because none of the exit polls said this, which I think we will talk about it later um, because it's also an important point. And well, the, the days have passed, we are right now in Friday and since the last I, I if I am not recalling it wrong since yesterday the results changed more than 98% of the votes have been counted but there is a part of the votes that have issues so they are counting it again and with these votes Lasso comes in second place so there There was a moment even where there was 0.02% difference between Yaku and Lasso. Right now, as of like right now, there's there's quite a difference um, between Lasso and Yaku. Lasso has a 19.74% and Yaku a 19.38%. So the question is who will go to the second round? 
Yaku Perez is asking for a recount of votes. And as I mentioned before, Lasso and Yaku are meeting in this exact moment to see how this will take place. Um, so yeah, that was just a bit of context of what is happening and why there's a lot of tension in Ecuador right now. I think that kind of going um, and, and kind of like um, giving that um, context to the audience is very important because we need to um, situate our opinions uh, kind of also uh, on the elections and on what's happening now and what's coming for Ecuador like in in the next uh, few months, in the next two months until the uh, uh, second round takes place, supposedly if nothing changes. <laughs> so let's, I, I think um, definitely we can see that racism that um, we are talking about here in the elections. And uh, I would say starting from the, the exit polls and the, and the polling companies that were hired by Arauz and by uh, Lasso uh, themselves, I think the fact that uh, giving a 13 percentage um, uh, point to Yaku and almost 20% average in the bottom of, of the polls to Lasso. So giving Lasso the second place for the second round against Arauz kind of reflects a lack of, uh, I would say, of seriousness of those uh, polls, uh, polling companies here in Ecuador, private companies, by the way. I think the fact of, of, of such a difference in the polls is surprising. And also is, um, I would say, embarrassing for the country, because that doesn't. Free and and I was very clear since the very beginning of the results. I was very sure that the results were not going to be right. But I didn't know it was going to be this close that Yaku and Lasso were in the in the in the votes. I knew that um, for sure. Company, these polling companies didn't um, consider. Uh, uh, didn't even consider those uh, communities that were in favor of Yaku, definitely. Especially because Yaku, uh, during the pandemic, uh, performed a really strategic and, 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 and strategically well-developed um, action when he was the uh, governor of the province of Asuai. He showed a lot of competence and that gave a lot of people trust in what he could do. Probably he was preparing for the for his candidacy. Probably he wasn't. He was just being who he is because he has some background as well. And of course he's indigenous. So so we cannot we cannot put and be racist also in the sense that um, denying certain facts that yes, has been fighting for since since he got involved into environmental issues, um, defense, and with, with his partner also. So I think um, kind of considering that background and kind of to give that context to the audience is very, very important so that they understand also the how, how crucial the, what's the, the following days are for, for Ecuadorians. What we can see now, though, like right now, literally, that as, as Maria said, they are meeting right now, they are talking right now, not letting Yaku talk, by the way. <laughs> so I think the fact that they are dealing with this uh, and, the, and the Consejo Nacional Electoral, the Electoral College there is kind of the electoral, um, how would I translate the Consejo Nacional Electoral, the, electro, the electoral uh, court or? Uh, I think it would be the uh, Electoral uh, National Council. 
Okay, so let, yeah, so they are kind of like, first of all, not being transparent. And I think that's the main issue. And a lot of people, well, this is kind of obvious, right? That that a lot of people in favor of Lasso and a lot of, of people in favor of, of, of Yaku, uh, whose votes would be kind of not negotiable at all, uh, are, are uh, reinforcing those differences between Yaku and Lasso, right? But at the same time, I think um, kind of Yaku's um, protest right now doesn't only um, speak about the issue of not giving him the second place or, or, or a possible fraud uh, happening there. It also speaks about the transparency of our, of our institutions here in Ecuador. And I think that's a, a big issue. And I mean, it's very easy for pro lasos to um, uh, kind of like be against this when when this is a, a, a clear image that we perceive from the electoral uh, council in Ecuador. So I, I think that's a lot uh, to be. There's a lot to be discussed there, like yeah. how uh, what what the the perception of Ecuadorians again the almost the same. Um, acceptance, uh, the same rate of acceptance that Moreno had, it's almost about the same uh, when it comes in regards to the Ecuadorian's acceptance of the Electoral Council. So I see it very confusing and very uh, unclear how um, this issue and this lack, definitely this lack of transparency affects the what's happening right now. I agree. I think there's a lot of mistrust with the institutions of um, the different institutions that we have, especially at least right now with the National Electoral Council, uh, even before uh, the day of election. So this is like something that has started since this new council was formed. Uh, and there are so many critics about that. And we can spend like we can talk about these for such a for such a long time. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about the so I'm just going to share with you in the chat a link to a website and it shows the map of the election so they they mapped the the results and it's shocking to see like like it's so clear where each of the candidates won but it's also just um striking to see for example in in the amazon all the all the provinces the the winner was uh, Yaku Perez same for most of the uh, uh provinces in the in the sierra the, the highlands and then in in the coast we have Andres Arauz winning uh the the coast region um especially I will say I will point out uh, Guayas because uh Guillermo Lazos, we know he's from from that province so uh Arauz won with more than 15 uh percent like above uh, Guillermo Lasso, so it's it's really striking to see this um, um, the map. Uh, Guillermo Lasso only won in two provinces, uh, sorry Pichincha, and then in the Galapagos uh, region. Um, but just like looking at how divided these um, the, the the provinces are, I think that's another point of analysis uh, that we can that we can make, and. The, these maps also shows how uh, the presence that Javier Herbas had and those um, Yaku or Lasso need to, um, sorry, Andres Arauz or the, the second uh, winner need to uh, get those those votes that 
where towards uh, Javier Herbas in the first round. So the, the map is just, uh, we can see a clear division of, um, of votes. And this is like something that the candidates need to look at uh, to get the, the votes they need. Andres Arau has, has a, an easier path maybe because he, he just needs to get around 18% um, of the votes while either Lasso or Perez need to get more than more than 30. So it's um, something that they really, really need to look into. It's just so, sorry, it's just so interesting to see the map as it reveals a lot about the, the regional differences, the... Uh, the people that live in these regions and how the candidates need to get to them. That's that's definitely something interesting to look at. And um, for someone who is not from Ecuador, I would really suggest checking it out and, and, and kind of like, um, I don't know, sharing these podcasts with, with their comments on, on this. <laughs> I think it's very... Uh, clear that the Paramo, the Highlands, I'm using that uh, term just to show something ironically, has definitely given the, the, the chance for, for uh, Yaku to be that close to get the second place. And uh, also it shows us many other things in the coast region. I would say it's kind of obvious in the Highlands and in kind of obvious in the Amazon that they support a candidate coming from indigenous uh, uh, from Kichuacanyari uh, nationality and from um, also people, um, perhaps uh, indigenous peoples as well, as well as mestizos um, supporting environmental uh, protection in the Amazon region and where the mining concessions in the south of the country where Yaku is from. Of course, that, that's kind of obvious, right? But what I think it's more uh, interesting and concerning at the same time uh, is in the coast where exactly all of these drama is happening. Um, exactly what what Raquel was saying, like in 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 the province of Guayas, where Lasso is from, we can see a huge uh, advantage for Arauz, like over fifteen percentage points, right? And um, also very interesting to me are these other these results in the other two provinces in the coast. Esmeraldas in Manabi, and I think that's very crucial, and that's very crucial because a lot of projects from from Correa's uh, uh, period um, happened, like uh, uh, billions of billions of, of dollars were uh, invested in a refinery, and billions of billions of dollars were arguably invested during the earthquake in Manabi province. So I. I I think there is a uh, people have spoken, and 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 I think uh, um, whoever runs, um, um, you know, with the with this with the support of Korea is is, is going to be uh, uh, a Korea supporter. That that's the, that's the reality. And I think the fact that Arauz, uh, supported by Korea, won in in Esmeraldas and in Manabí speaks a lot about. Um, the leg, the the legitimacy of 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 uh, Moreno's claims of Correa being corrupt and, and his staff being corrupt, and how much people believe in this, and also this other issue of how negligent was Correa's um, government when dealing with the earthquake uh, consequences. I think 
that's also very very interesting now in terms of 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 the how plausible it would be to to get um each other's uh boats i mean in, for last and for yaku to get each other's boats for whoever who, uh, goes to the second round i don't know i would be very very interested to 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 know what your opinions are and what what your perspective is because i think that's that's definitely a, a huge um defining point of the of the second round and and especially if all these electoral um national electoral college drama ends i think that's what the discussion is going to be about like how um uh, plausible it would be for each other um for the candidates to gain each other's votes for both for for lasso which i think it's kind of uh hard and for for yaku which i think it's kind of easy although um this double discourse exists for sure i think um we have two scenarios the first one will be that uh, if we finish the um elections as they are right now without recounting the votes with lasso going to the second round i'll say that lasso will lose by a big amount why because yaku supporters will not believe that these results were fair and honestly i think they they have a point so i'll say alaus will win and for a lot and then the second scenario will be having these votes recounted which is really important for the peace of the country not only right now but for how the political just how the how the next president is going to govern and how the citizens are going to react to whatever policies the president makes so if we recount the votes and there is an agreement between Lasso and Yaku and let's say Yaku wins then Lasso supporters will support Yaku Yaku will win Arauz will lose if we go uh to Lasso I think that if there is an agreement right now like I think right now today is a crucial day in Ecuador if there is an agreement I think that Lasso could win because Yaku will give the support to Lasso it will be harder for sure but if there is not an agreement between Yaku and Lasso if the people the citizens are thinking that the elections are not fair Arauz will win for a lot and whoever like for the president in this new new term will be really really hard to govern because you will have a really divided country and a country that will just not believe in anyone and also if let's say Yaku wins but Lasso doesn't give it support you will have a really divided country too so it's really important for both of them to listen to each other and to come into an agreement because if they don't come into an agreement this country is going to be hard right now and for the next four years i don't really agree with you though i i don't think that an agreement is going to solve anything 
um, I don't think an agreement is going to give us the the answer that many people might be looking for, uh, because the implications of having an agreement between Pacha Kutik and um, Alianza Creo and I think Suma is not a just a thing. For example, I know that yesterday I think so. Erbas uh, made a, a, a claim supporting Yaku, but it's not as easy as that. Like they, they are there are so many things at stake. So. I don't think an agreement will actually, it might be mean something on paper, but in practice, there are so many things that underline this agreement that we need to look at because an agreement, I don't think it's going to solve anything if there's no clear standpoint of many other issues. And we're talking about racism, we're talking about political and economic policies, we're talking about the history of the relationship between the indigenous party and the um, and Creo. We're talking about the implications of uh, Lasso in the past election. We're talking about the, the history of the Pachacutic movement itself. So there are so many things at play that I don't think an agreement will actually solve this and will give us some peace and will give us some almost like assurance that the country is going to be in better terms if they come to this agreement. I understand where you're coming from. And I understand that, of course, there's a lot of um, implications that we need to look at. However, I think that if there is not this first step of being like, hey, yeah, I agree that we need to recount these votes, the country is not going anywhere. So we need to have this first step because if not, We, we will continue with this, who will win, who will not win. And whoever wins, people will not feel that it was a fair election. And it is really important for the country and for the citizens to have, I, I don't say a complete trust, but at least more than we do right now on that the things are being as transparent as we can make them. Because right now they're not transparent and we need to make them more. And for that, we need both of them to work together. If not, it will just not happen. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think I, I was mainly talking about um, an agreement for the future rather than like the one that they can make today about like recounting the votes. But for, for agreement in terms of like the next round and uh, possible maybe like a, an alliance in, in the future, but that's a good point. Yeah, I, I agree with, with Raquel that in the sense that of, of having a, first of all, like, um, it's kind of possible to have this um, agreement between Lasso and Yaku to to open the the, 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 the ballots and, and check them by one by one, especially in those uh, provinces where um, there were a lot of inconsistencies. But I mean, I was also thinking about the future and, and, and not that um, far future, but I mean, very, very, like, right now after like a couple of months i think uh, and, and for the um all of all of what's going to happen in the next two months too i feel that um whoever goes uh into the second round and uh, to to compete against andres arauz i would say um has it hard because um it's very clear that as as uh, and it's been shown Uh, that we have three forces, three political forces here in Ecuador playing playing a role. That's for sure the left, the right, and the non-Eurocentric perspective of politics with the indigenous political party. 
which has a lot of in common with Arauz, of course. So that that that's exactly what makes an agreement, a complete agreement, and a complete endorsement of, of Yaku's uh, voters ballots towards Lasso. That's the tricky part for Lasso, I would say, because and, and also a tricky part for for Pachacutic, uh, for for the indigenous political party, because. It would lose a lot, a lot of, of credibility if it gets to an agreement with Lasso, with the right and with the banker, the so-called banker. So I think it's very complicated for Lasso and, and also for Yaku, because if, but I mean, it's, 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 I would say it's rather than that Lasso, to be honest, because, um, and the racists, um, they are so much against uh, many, many people voting for Lasso and being racists are so much against Arauz and against Correa. And even with all of those, like with all of those considerations, uh, for sure, some of the votes for, for Lasso would be endorsed for Yaku. So Yaku definitely has a bigger chance, right? Something that we have already uh, talked about. But I think it's still difficult for Yaku's government, for anyone's government, to be honest, because, but at least Yaku's, if Yaku goes to the second round, uh, I feel that Lasso's supporters would, would kind of um, be that political force that that puts a lot of, of, of you know, votes and, 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 and trabas and, um, and, and all kind, and they will try to stop anyway, any, any, um, political decision and policy that Yaku kind of supports in, in a possible Yaku's government. But in the case of Lasso's government, we would have Arauz and, and, and Perez supporters, well, Arau, Correa's and, and Perez supporters very much against Lasso, which is a, a very, a very not, a very um, un, not statistically possible uh, a scenario to have Lasso in power. And if we have Arauz in power, then we would just continue with this three political power uh, dealing in the country. What would that bring to the country during the next following years? I think it's it's very complicated. And we'll see, we'll follow that in with all their details. Definitely a very contested election and we'll keep yourself updated. Uh, thank you very much for coming and participating. It was a wonderful discussion. Um, I think a lot of the points that I wanted to discuss, we kind of covered and were able to talk about many of the contentious points in Ecuadorian politics. Thank you again for coming. Don't forget that El Cafecito is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Thank you very much and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you.